Working with a spouse might not be an ideal situation for many, but for some couples, it just works. Until it doesn't, and someone wants out. And murder might be the only way. I'm Jennifer Blades, and this is Season 3 of the Unanswered Podcast, When Love Hurts. One could say that living and working with a spouse could be somewhat smothering. But for Robert Fingerhut and his wife Donna Roberts, it seemed to be a harmonious relationship. After two failed marriages, Donna met Robert in Florida in 1980, and they eventually married and bought a home in Miami. The couple stayed in Miami for a couple of years before trying out the Richmond, Virginia area. Virginia didn't work out, so they decided to move to Donna's hometown of Youngstown, Ohio. For several years, they managed an Avis car rental franchise at the Youngstown Warren Regional Airport. Later, they operated two successful Greyhound bus stations, and Donna even ran a small restaurant located within the Youngstown bus station called Just the Ticket. The pair gave off the impression that they were happily married. However, they actually got divorced decades ago. Because, well, Robert was in a little bit of trouble with the IRS. He owed back taxes totaling thousands of dollars. So Robert and Donna decided to divorce after only being married for about two years. They didn't want to jeopardize their home and other assets with Robert's financial troubles. To everyone on the outside, the couple appeared to be happy. They built a business together with everything in Donna's name and things were looking good. According to the show Deadly Women, Donna was in a car accident and suffered several concussions. And according to her son, Michael, who she had with her second husband, Donna's personality started to take a noticeable turn. She started smoking cigarettes and marijuana, which was something the old Donna was completely against. It's said that after the accident, Donna became obsessed with sex possibly due to the stress and emotional pain that she was experiencing after the accident. Robert wasn't on board with this new Donna, and it caused a strain in their relationship, and others started to notice that Donna was acting out of character. But little did everyone know, things were about to take a turn for the worst. On December 11, 2001, around 9 p.m., Robert left the Youngstown bus terminal and told the security guard on duty that he was leaving early for the night. Around 9.30 p.m., a neighbor saw Donna driving her car very slowly on the old State Route 82 near their home. At 12.01 a.m., December 12th, Trumbull County authorities received a 911 call from Donna. She was hysterical and screaming that there was something wrong with her husband. When police arrived, they found Robert lying on the kitchen floor near the door to the garage. Dr. Humphrey Germanick, a Trumbull County forensic pathologist, observed Robert's body at the crime scene and later performed an autopsy. Robert has sustained lacerations and abrasions to the left hand and head, as well as multiple gunshot wounds to his head, chest, and back. As police searched the home that Robert and Donna shared, they found a fully loaded 38 caliber revolver near Robert's body. A firearms expert with the Bureau of Criminal Identification and Investigation, the BCI, 
later concluded that the bullets recovered from the home and Robert's body were fired from the same weapon, either a 38 caliber special or a 357 Magnum. But that none of the bullets that had been fired from the revolver were found near Robert's body. As for Donna, well, let's just say her behavior after the 911 call was uh, a bit of a roller coaster. Police reported that she was calm and quiet, and all of a sudden, she would start crying and screaming, quote, Oh, my Robert, my Robert! It seems that Donna was putting on a real performance. When she left, she was quiet, but when police would enter the room, she began shouting. One officer at the scene remarked that he didn't notice any tears coming from Donna's eyes when she appeared to be crying. After the shooting, Donna went to stay with her brother, and police would visit her there, and they got her permission to further search her home. She met with Police Sergeant Frank Dillon and Detective Sergeant Paul Monroe, where she described her relationship with Robert as loving and stated that they were, quote, a cool couple, and that he did his thing and she did hers. She also told police that Robert had a relationship with a man named Bobby and that Robert was acting strange before the shooting, and she thought that it had something to do with that relationship. Since they were in, according to Donna, an open relationship, she volunteered the names of two men that she had been involved with. When asked if there were any others, Donna said no. Well, as we later would find out, Donna forgot to mention a relationship that she'd been having with a man named Nate Jackson. You see, 57-year-old Donna found comfort in 29-year-old Nate Jackson, whom she met at her restaurant. Nate was said to be charming and something new and exciting for Donna. The two started to fall in love. Donna was older, had money, and she was what was missing from Nate's life. And for Donna, Nate was the answer to all of her problems. Although Nate had a checkered past with several arrests and alleged drug use, that didn't stop Donna and it didn't stop Nate from listening to Donna complain about how terrible Robert was. As their relationship was starting to blossom, it got interrupted by Nate getting arrested. He had to serve a year in prison for receiving stolen property. They were writing letters professing their love to each other, and jailhouse phone calls began the start of their sinister plan. The more police investigated Robert's murder, the more clues they found pointing to, you guessed it, Donna and her new love, Nate. Police learned that the pair were sharing a room together at the Days Inn, where they found some pretty damning evidence. A garbage bag was recovered from the room that contained a bottle of peroxide, used bandages, and gauze, with blood that matched Nate's DNA profile. Along with police finding out that Robert had taken out two life insurance policies for himself, naming Donna as the sole beneficiary, on December 12th, they found his car abandoned in Youngstown. Blood was found in the vehicle, and after testing it, it was determined that that blood was a mixture of Robert's and Nate's. If you haven't already put the pieces of this puzzle together, Donna was starting to look like the main suspect, along with her new boyfriend. 
Donna did admit to police that she and Nate were writing letters when he was in jail. And police even found a brown paper bag in Donna's car with approximately 140 handwritten letters dated from October to December of 2001. These letters contained messages from the pair professing their love for each other and their plan of being together once Nate was released. Oh, and some even mentioned a plan of getting Robert out of the picture so that they could live happily ever after. At the time, police didn't know much about Nate, just that Donna admitted to having some type of relationship with him. But when they found those letters in the paper bag with a six-digit number on the outside, police gleaned that these numbers were actually used to identify prison inmates. They did some digging into Nate Jackson, and they believed that Donna and Nate first met when he was released from prison. Nate was a father that wasn't gainfully employed and then had been in trouble with the law since he was a juvenile. Through these letters, you can tell that Donna was showering Nate with material items, and Nate was giving Donna the attention she so desperately desired. These love letters turned out to contain some pretty damning evidence. The two made reference to a package and obtaining handcuffs and gloves, and Nate even drew a headstone on one of the letters that said, Rest in Piss. Police determined that the package they were referring to was a code they used for Robert. Police later found out that Donna had picked up Nate from prison after his release, and through her credit card statements, they discovered that she got a room at the Days Inn for a week, possibly as a hideout spot for Nate. As I previously mentioned, police found some bloody evidence from the trash from that room that Donna had paid for. Police were also able to obtain audio from the prison phone calls between Donna and Nate. One thing I found strange was the breathy Marilyn Monroe voice that Donna used with Nate, almost like a damsel in distress or a little girl. And it always amazes me how comfortable people are during jailhouse recorded conversations. Nate and Donna had no shame discussing their plan to kill Robert. Well, they should have had more common sense because those calls were enough for police to arrest Donna. After they arrested Donna, police got word that Nate was hiding out at a friend's house. Nate surrendered without incident, and Nate started talking. He told police about his role in Robert's death. Whereas Donna, she wanted a lawyer and wasn't going to say a word. According to Nate, he was at Donna's restaurant when Robert approached him trying to buy some weed off of him. Nate said that he went with Robert to his home where he was going to buy weed from him. Nate went on to tell police that when they arrived at the house, Robert was disrespectful to him and things got heated. Nate said that Robert pulled a gun on him and he felt that his life was in danger. Allegedly, the gun went off, shooting Nate in his finger. Nate tried to get the gun away from Robert in self-defense and succeeded, shooting Robert several times. Nate took off in Robert's car and tossed the gun out of the window. Needless to say, police weren't buying this story because things just weren't adding up. And Nate clearly didn't know that the police already have enough, had enough evidence of his and Donna's deadly plan. 
In December 2001, Nate and Donna were both indicted for the first-degree murder of Robert and were both facing the death penalty. Police theorized that the insurance money was a motive for murder. They think that Donna took Nate to her home, where he was to wait for Robert to arrive while she took off. It's unsure what really happened that night, but it does appear that there was a struggle between Robert and Nate, and that's how Nate's finger got shot. Nate then proceeded to shoot Robert three times and left the home. Police knew that there were phone calls between Donna and Nate, probably so that Nate could tell her that things didn't go as planned, and that's what prompted Nate to take Robert's car to flee the scene. Nate was found guilty of aggravated murder and sentenced to death on December 10th, 2003. Donna's trial took place six months later and she too was found guilty. The evidence they had against Donna was insurmountable, but Donna did something that was a little unheard of. She asked the jury to give her the death penalty. Now, I don't know if this was a genius plan because being on death row gave Donna certain appeal rights, maybe the attention that she always wanted, and she was the only female on death row at the time, and she wouldn't be put with the general population. Some may think that Donna had nothing to do with Robert's murder and that Nate acted alone, but I'm not buying that. The evidence was there in black and white through those jailhouse letters, and you can hear Donna's having conversation that appeared to be discussing the murder of Robert. I don't see why Nate would commit this crime on his own if he wasn't going to benefit from it. So if Donna wasn't on board, what reason would Nate have to commit murder? I guess one could say that he was just so in love with Donna and this was some kind of crime of passion, but again, I'm not buying that. To me, this was a case of greed, lust, insecurities, and a spouse that was willing to stop at nothing to get her husband out of the picture. I have to think this wasn't only about money. Donna was a dangerous woman, and she's in prison right where she belongs. Robert didn't deserve to be murdered, especially by someone that he loved. Thank you for listening. Don't forget a new episode comes out every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and like the show.